Hey everybody, before we get started today, I want to tell you about our presenting sponsor, WGT, the most popular golf game in the world, and also the official gaming partner of DNVR. It's become so popular, we've opened up that third DNVR clubhouse. We're almost full. I want to fill that up this week, guys. Help me out. Hop on WGT. We were doing this at the bar yesterday, actually, with, with um, ourselves and some subscribers um, playing the weekend course. Uh, against each other while we were sitting there. It's very fun. It's always fun to play like in person with people. So download it. Go to w, go to dnvrgolf.com and download WGT. Get yourself signed up. Get yourself familiar. And then you can participate in our weekend tournaments by joining the DNVR Clubhouse, Clubhouse 3. What is up, everybody? And welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast presented by... WGT Golf. I'm your host today, Adam Mata, is doing solo notebook edition of this game six, an incredible game, one of the best games ever for Denver Nuggets fans. It was truly, it's not hyperbole, it's not for too often I get to say something that crazy and it not be hyperbole, but it's true. Jamal Murray goes for 50 points for the second time in this series. The Denver Nuggets stay alive, stave off elimination for the second time and force game seven against the Utah Jazz. And I'm going to do all the notebook notes here. So if you're new to the show, after the games, we do the winner's lounge or loser's lounge, whatever happens. We do those live from the DNVR bar studios, hanging above the DNVR bar in the corner of Colfax in New York. And we give our instant reactions. This one, the day after, we do a notebook pod, or I do a notebook pod, where I dive into the details after rewatching the game, looking at some of the stats, and really studying the game to get a better sense of what happened and what went on with it. So, going to do that. And then, of course, always, there's a companion piece called The List up on the, the DNVR.com for DNVR members, $5 a month. You can get access to that. It comes with all the video clips and lots of cool stuff. I think there's like seven or eight from this one um, for you to check out. So, Without further ado, let's get into it. Um, number one, this series has been absolutely absurd in the shot making. These two teams are just shooting the leather off of the ball, the Nuggets and the Utah Jazz, both of them. And I don't, you know, it's it's one of the big questions coming into game seven. This has been an offensive series. Both teams have been able, when they've won, they haven't won with lockdown defense. They've, they've won with good enough defense to get past the other team. And Denver, over those last two games, has been that team, especially over the last six quarters. You look at that, Denver's only had one bad defensive quarter. It was the first quarter of this one. But teams, both guys, both teams are just making some incredible shots that in addition to having good offensive process, in the moments when they have bad process or when the defenses step up and make things difficult, they just have had guys that have knocked down shots. And to open this game, I thought we got a lot of that in that first quarter. Denver and Utah just making some incredible shots. I think it took four minutes before the first team to miss. I think it was the Nuggets. But the, the, to open this game, it was just every team made everything. Some of those easy shots, some of those tough ones. And now that's the question going into Game 7. Is is that going to continue? Does Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray continue just to be the most efficient players in the NBA um, in a Game 7 when the pressure's there, when all the doubts and thoughts kind of enter everybody's mind? And if they do... What about the other guys? We've already started to see some cracks in the others for the Utah Jazz. We haven't necessarily seen this for the Nuggets, although I think you look at Michael Porter Jr. last night, he goes 0-5 from the three-point line. At least three of those were great looks. He didn't knock down any of them. But you did have guys like Jeremy Grant who made, picked up the slack. Nikola Jokic who picked up the slack. Grant goes 4-7. of seven. Nikola Jokic goes 3-5. of five. Um, You know, Gary Harris goes 0-2. Maybe that's not a shock. So one of the questions is, does everybody just continue to shoot well? Traditionally, Game 7s, teams just don't shoot well. I mean, Game 7s are usually ugly, defensive-minded. 
it's hard to imagine that being the case in the series because there's been so little defense, but it's a game seven. Who knows? But to start game six, both teams were just absolutely on fire. Denver has been mixing up their pick and roll coverage against Donovan Mitchell over the last three games. I wrote on the list last week, and I think if you missed uh, yesterday's edition of the list, I would still go back and watch it because I think it sets the stage for what is the key battleground defensively for the Nuggets, that how do they guard the pick and roll. And I talked about playing up, which is where Denver has had the success over the last two and a half games. It's where they've had success against the Utah Jazz. But the thing is, the Nuggets don't want to just play up on Mitchell because the more you do something, the more a team kind of gets a rhythm and, and can get comfortable. So as much as I think playing up with Jokic, bringing him up closer to the level of the screen and then you know ro- rotating on the backside, as much as I think that's their best option, Denver is being smart and not just throwing that at them. They're also playing that drop coverage, which has conceded a lot of looks, but they're doing it, I think, in part because it's very hard for Jokic to cover that much ground for 48 minutes, but also just to keep them guessing, try to keep them on their heels. And in this game early on, Jokic had a couple possessions, or I shouldn't say Jokic, this is Denver, where Jokic was dropped and Donovan Mitchell gets to walk right into a three-pointer. So um, it's interesting to see what the right balance is for the Nuggets and mixing up the, the those coverages when there's clearly, I think, an option in the defense that is worse than the other ones. Um, the starting lineup has struggled in this series, and it's kind of crazy. Um, I thought, just to give some perspective, because I think when we saw one of the storylines tonight was Gary Harris returning and what a boost he was. People don't realize this. The five-man unit that has started for the Nuggets, it's Jamal Murray, now Monte Morris, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic. That's three front court players. Jeremy Grant has sort of segued into this combo forward type player where he's guarding the perimeter, but that he hasn't doesn't really have much experience. People don't realize he didn't play a lot of three prior to the playoffs here in his career. So you look at that five man unit in the regular season. They had played just one minute together, and that one minute spanned over three games. I think they were 0 for 1 as a unit, which tells me that if they appeared in three games but are 0 for 1 shooting, they probably were only used for defensive-only possessions. You know, end of game, you throw that lineup out there, and then as soon as you get a stop or don't get a stop, you call timeout and get somebody else in there. So for all intents and purposes, this five-man lineup that the Denver Nuggets are now in Game 7 against the Utah Jazz literally had not played together until they became a starting lineup in a do-or-die series, um, which is just absurd to think about. So all these people that talk about, you know, oh, you know – just kind of glossing over the fact that this Nuggets team is missing two starters. This lineup that they're relying on more than any other lineup not only hasn't played, uh, isn't playing well, but it hasn't played together. So that five-man group has a minus 22.4 net rating in this series, a 140 defensive rating. So how crazy is it that the Nuggets' number one most used lineup in a series isn't just bad, it is getting outscored by 22 points per 100 possessions. And it's a lineup that didn't have any familiarity with it uh, with each other prior to game four when they started for the first time. In fact, they had two minutes in the series, so one less than one minute in the regular season, two minutes in the games one through three just kind of sprinkled in. And now it's the starting lineup and most used lineup. So it's a little crazy, but... You know, going into game seven, I don't know that you're going to be able to change that. And some of this is, you know, some of this is that lineup, I'm not sure can defend. You're talking about Paul Millsap, as good as he is, and he makes a lot of great reads and rotations. He's still being asked to guard pick and roll ball handlers. Jeremy Grant, who's never done this and has gotten better each game at sort of doing this, he's, I think, has the physical tools to do it, but just never in his career has he been, hey, go guard a point guard and guard him all over the court 
through pick and rolls. It's just not something he's done a lot of, but he's getting better at it. So you're asking that lineup to guard a Utah starting lineup that's absolutely fantastic. It's one of the best in the in the NBA. They've got multiple pick and roll threats. They've got a lot of speed, and D- Denver, I think, just a little bit slow. So the question is, you know, do you go away from that lineup? Do you go? Do you start it but go for, away from it a little bit quicker? I think in game seven. Quinn Snyder is going to play his starters a lot of minutes. In this game, I mean, he played them a lot in this game already. You look at some of the minute totals, Rudy Gobert, 41 and a half, Donovan Mitchell, about 40. I wouldn't be surprised if those guys play 44 minutes. They play the entire second half and they sit for only four minutes in, you know, in in, in the first half or something like that. And if you're Denver, that's a little bit of a concern because those guys, when they're on the court, they have been beating Denver in this series. So um, how Denver counters and what lineups they play early on in the series, I think is going to really be a lot. One thing about game seven is I think momentum is going to be a very real thing. Players get tight playing from behind and asking Tory Craig, Hey, we're down seven end of the third quarter. We really need you to knock down this wide open three. That's difficult. We're up seven. And if you knock down this three, we're up 10. If not, we're still in good shape. That's a lot easier. So I do think that how Denver gets off to a, the start in this game is important. And I'm not sure that that starting lineup that Denver's using right now is their best bet to get off to a great start. Gary Harris entered the game. And this was obviously the, one of the big stories of this game was just getting Gary Harris back and seeing what kind of impact he could have on it. And it was enormous. I think better than even I could have expected from him. 21 minutes from him. He only gets four points. Two of those at the foul line. Then one one jumper. Did he hit a jumper? Where did he get his other points from? Yeah, he hit one jumper. So he gets uh, four points, but he's a plus 16 in this, um, in this game. Completely cancels out Jordan Clarkson. Makes Donovan Mitchell have to work for it. Made some great backside defensive plays. Grabbed some rebounds that were kind of key or tipped the ball. It just He made so many of those sort of hustle plays that we talked about earlier in the series. One of the things I said about Denver is that Utah doesn't feel them. Defensively, they're not feeling them. Well, you add your best perimeter defender back, and what do you know? You start to look around the court and you go, oh, wow, look who's out there. There's um, you know Jeremy Grant. And Torrey Craig, or there's Torrey Craig and Gary Harris, Millsap and Harris. There was just always, it felt like, multiple good defenders on the court. And I think just having that allowed for Denver to be more consistently good on the defensive end. And Gary Harris was a huge part of that. You know, the injury report just came out for the Nuggets for tomorrow's game, Game 7. Gary Harris not listed on that. Tonight, I think he probably had a minutes restriction. He plays 21 minutes. He did pick up five fouls. And I think fouling, especially with how aggressively he's going to play defense and how much you know, Donovan Mitchell gets a lot of foul calls by virtue of the fact he's so quick and he creates contact. He's very good at that. Mike Conley, same thing. Very good at drawing fouls. I think foul trouble is going to be an issue for Gary Harris in game seven. The question is, can he get 25 minutes out of it? Can he get 30 minutes out of it? Is he able to play that much at a high level? And if he is, then I think if you're Denver, you have to feel really good about his addition and what that means because he just is by far the best perimeter defender on the Nuggets roster, and so adding him to this team really gives a boost. And in this game, his boost was just immediate, I thought. You know, Jokic picked up his second foul on a, a Spain pick-and-roll, which I'm surprised that Utah hasn't actually run a little bit more. A Spain pick-and-roll, it involves the big. The big sets the original pick um, ball screen. Then as he rolls, a third person comes in. I think it's Joe Ingles typically the way they run it and sets a screen on Jokic. So Jokic is guarding one screen and then gets screened himself, and you roll Jokic or um, 
you you get uh, Rudy Gobert open down at the the at the basket. Jokic gives a an intentional foul. You know he fouls him on purpose, preventing the shot. Gobert goes 0 for two. So you could argue and say, hey, it was actually a good foul, but it was the second foul for Jokic, and it took him out of the game a little bit earlier, which interestingly enough might have been a good thing. I thought. Aside from the starting lineup, Denver's rota- everything behind Denver's starting lineup in this game I thought was fantastic, and Jokic usually plays the entire first quarter. He has to go out, Mason Plumlee comes in, and I thought that the way the rotation kind of worked out was a positive for Denver, and they absolutely owned all non-starters minutes in this one. I'm curious to see what, what the Nuggets do in Game 7, how much Jokic plays if he just stays on the court because the boost that Mason Plumlee gave, uh, gave was big. One of the things he did that I think was so impactful is Mason Plumlee sets hard screens. Nikola Jokic doesn't always, and it's not because he can't set hard screens. It's in large part because of the way they try to play. You know, Jokic is trying to position his body so that the defender has to go over or under. And it's not always about making contact. But what's interesting in this series, especially with the way Jamal Murray's shooting, those hard screens might have more value than usual. And you risk those offensive fouls when you set the hard screens. But with how Donovan Mitchell is dropping so deep in the paint, I might try to have Jokic set a few more hard screens on Jamal Murray, especially in the double stagger. They've had some luck with that. But you hit the on-ball defender with a hard screen, Murray gets to turn the corner or get to the three-point line with just Gobert to beat. And if Gobert steps out, you open up a lot of other things. If he doesn't, I trust Jamal Murray to step up and knock down that shot. I mean, who wouldn't? He's shooting 60% on pull-up threes in this series. So hard screens might be an interesting adjustment. And playing Mason Plumlee as the backup center, he's just probably the best at the team at setting those types of hard screens. Uh, And they really work. And if you think back, actually, to the seven – Vladko Chanchar was the backup center. If there's one player on this roster that sets better screens than Mason Plumlee, it's Vladko Chanchar. And I think that there was really something to him setting those hard screens, drawing Gobert further up the court, and then getting some uh, easy buckets, rolling to the rim, or just shooting over the top of Gobert and grabbing the offensive rebound. Another thing that Denver has had success with over the last two games, getting the offensive rebound on possessions when Gobert's had to step out to contest the perimeter uh, shooter. Take a quick break before we get into quarter two and tell you about the Avalanche Amber Ale from Breckenridge Brewery, along with all the other delicious uh, beers that Breckenridge Brewery has, all of which are available on tap, or almost all of which are available on tap at the DNVR bar. Strawberry Sky, Mango Mosaic, those are the two I usually go to. Had a Vanilla Porter Jr. yesterday before the game, trying to get some good luck going. But right now, it's we're, we're in September. By the time you're listening to this, it'll probably I'm recording it in the last day of August, but it's going to be dropping right at the first day of September. And so we're officially in September weather. Let's get the pumpkin spice going. Let's get all of our, our, our September-y things going. And that includes the Avalanche Amber Ale. I think it's the official beer of September. I'm going to go ahead and declare this. The Avalanche Amber is the official beer from Breckenridge Brewery. It's the official beer of September. So give it a try. Fantastic, very uh, flavorful, delicious malty beer, which is my favorite. And then, of course, I want to tell you about DraftKings football. Right around the corner, there's no better place to get in on the all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And to celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving away. Well, you guys have heard me telling about this. This is an insane deal. All users, a no-brainer to start the season. You don't want to miss it. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for week one, DraftKings is ins- ensuring 
that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City to plus 101 for all users. This isn't, this, isn't this crazy? So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's a no-brainer. I'm telling you, they're giving away money. They're doing all these crazy promos right now. You got to get the app. You got to make some of this money. Even if you're not a gambler, just take the free money they're trying to give you. On top of that amazing offer, DraftKings is giving away $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up on DraftKings Sportsbook, enter the survival pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR. Take advantage of this. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Other terms and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast. So now into quarter two, the second unit was the story of this game, I mean, other than Jamal Murray's 50 points. But the second unit, um, you know, you look down the line, Michael Porter Jr. to plus 21, Gary Harris plus 16, Torrey Craig plus 18, Mason Plumlee plus 11 in just 11 minutes. So Denver's second unit really dominated Utah. As you go to the other side, Jordan Clarkson minus 24, Niang minus 19, even though those guys scored a little bit. Um, Denver just dominated those um, the, the times when they were on the court. And I, maybe the better way to phrase it is they dominated the times when the other players weren't on the court. Royce O'Neal a minus three. Joe Ingles a plus four in this game. Gobert only a minus seven. And then Donovan Mitchell a plus two. So you get, you know, and Mike Conley a minus eight. So you get some positives from some of the starters and, and some light negatives from, from the rest of the starters. But you get huge negatives off of the bench. Denver has to win that battle. I mean, that that was why this game got broken open as much as they did. And if you can force, especially in a game seven, for Mitchell to have to play 44, 45 minutes, I think there's a real chance that you can wear him out, especially now that with Gary Harris back, the number of defenders you can kind of put on him and sort of overwhelm him. And that brings me to what I thought worked with the second unit. The athleticism of the second unit really shined. I mean, you look at players like Conley, Ingles, Niang, and they're playing staggered lineups, right? Ingles and Conley and Niang, those guys are going there. Not the most athletic players, you, but they've had sort of success against Denver, you know, in these previous games when they've gotten to just stand still and spot up and shoot and, you know, not have to do too much. You throw out a bunch of guys flying around, Mason Plumley, Torrey Craig, Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris. Those guys were swarming on the defensive end, just flying around and really out just looked like a significantly more athletic unit. And they won a lot of those, you know, they they won a lot of the 50-50 balls, the rebounds, you know, just owned the glass. I thought Michael Porter was great off, uh, grabbing the rebounds um, in, in this game. Plumley made a, a, just a ton of hustle plays. And so I think that's a real advantage there. And this, it's crazy to think because Denver hasn't really had the most athletic team over the last few years. But you add a Jeremy Grant, you add a Michael Porter Jr. to a, a Craig and a Plumlee, and now you start to put pieces together where you're like, wow, this team really has some mobility and some speed to them. And I thought it really worked. In the second quarter, I talk about Jeremy Grant and how his role with second units is so different from his role when he's sharing the court with Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic. By the way, as a quick aside, those three players on the court together, Murray, Jokic, and and uh, Michael Porter Jr., a plus 13.1 in their 104 minutes in this playoff series. A plus, a huge positive, and not just a little plus, plus 13 against a team that's very good. I think that's incredibly encouraging for the Nuggets' long-term outlook. I don't know how much that's going to matter in Game 7, but it does go to show that despite the defensive flaws from that whatever roster you throw out around those three, when they're on the court together, 
good things seem to happen. And I'm really curious if Denver gets to, we only saw a couple minutes of the, and it was in the third quarter, the future lineups. I'll talk about those in a second, but when you, you add those three together with Grant and Gary Harris, um, we only saw a couple minutes of it, but it looked really, really good. So um, anyway, back to this with Jeremy Grant's on the court. And when he's sharing the court with Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic, he really has to understand what his role is in that group. He is at best the fourth option, maybe the fifth option. And he needs to have the confidence to step into shots with the understanding and the discipline not to sort of force things. And I talked about this a lot in game after game five about how some of the worst possessions on offense came when Jeremy Grant maybe didn't necessarily have great sort of situational awareness and rushed shots or rushed drives and got turnovers. He had the same thing in game six where you just look at it and he had a fantastic game. So in aggregate, I mean, he, he was, he was still an a player in this game, 18 points. He was a minus three, he goes six of nine, four of seven. But if you look at that six of nine, I would bet that all three of his misses were misses where you go, Ooh, I don't know about that shot. So I know this is tough criticism for a guy that played so well, but in a game seven, guys are going to have to be even more perfect. This next game, you're playing a desperate team for the first time. Utah has not been desperate until this upcoming game seven, so you're going to have to be even more perfect, and one way they can do that is with Jeremy Grant sort of tightening up his decision-making. Jamal Murray in isolation has been absolutely unbelievable. I don't think there's a single person out there who can honestly say that they saw this coming from him in isolation. He is, according to Synergy, scoring 1.6 points per possession in the playoffs on isolation. 1.6. That means every time he gets an ISO and clears people out and goes one-on-one, he scores over one and a half points on average. For reference, that is in the 100th percentile. That means he has been the best in the NBA. Luka Doncic, no. James Harden, no. LeBron James, no. Jamal Murray, number one in the NBA in isolation efficiency. And why this is important, the Murray-Jokic two-man game has been very good in the clutch for a long time. With how um, Rudy Gobert has been able to sort of stifle that, Denver's had to go to some other options, use different players in the screen, and it's worked. Use these double pin downs I'm going to talk about, and it's worked. But the fact that even when those things don't work, and sometimes down the stretch, you know, Jamal Murray didn't want anything else. He just wanted an ISO. He felt comfortable in his matchups, clears out the paint, flattens everything, and then just goes one-on-one and is able to get to that sidestep or step back. And he's just making them all right now. And it's absolutely incredible to watch a hundredth percentile. He's also, if we just go through his synergy numbers here as a pick and roll ball handler, he's scoring 1.34 points per possession. That puts him in the 94th percentile for the playoffs. It off of handoffs, 1.3 points per possession. That puts him in the hundredth percentile on handoffs. I talked about isolation, hundredth percentile on spot ups, 1.67 points per possession. That's the 92nd percentile. And then off screen, he doesn't have these off screens are like coming off the ball. You have another point guard out there. You send a pin down. He comes off the screen. He catches and goes off of those plays. He's nine of twelve, so he's he doesn't have enough to be you know to rank in a percentile or whatever. But he's nine of twelve on those possessions. I mean, he is right now scoring at an, a ridiculous clip. And some of this is I I truly believe some of this is off of getting another ball handler out there. But I think most of it is just off of him stepping up to this challenge, having incredible focus, and just making some very tough shots over and over and over again. One of the big questions. And maybe I'm too hard on Murray to not fully, you know, as much as I'm bought into him being the superstar. I mean, the level he's playing at right now, 
you keep there there are highs if a player can get to a high four times in one series as Jamal Murray has then you say forget the consistency element of this he can get there and not very many players can get to this level so Jamal Murray's already sort of passed the bar of like his best is better than all but maybe three or four players in the entire Western Conference from the guard position I mean Steph Curry Damian Lillard um, you know he's right there with Donovan Mitchell I mean he has a chance it's funny if you just talk about legacy or narrative or whatever whoever wins this game seven kind of takes the crown Donovan Mitchell or or Jamal Murray they're kind of like even right now I think in most people's eyes and what happens in this next game will kind of move that person up a notch in in in, in the conference but you look at Russell Westbrook James Harden Luka Doncic that's that's maybe the entire list of guards that you say okay they are capable of reaching the level that Jamal Murray has now the question is and I'm so curious for this is this who Jamal Murray is now I'm not saying 50 points but I'm saying a guy that you know, before when he was in isolation, I thought, okay, I don't know. He was like the 50th percentile in the regular season. I thought, I don't know. You know, he has a good step back. He has a couple counters. He's, but now he's added a little strength. He's added a little quickness, and he is just at a hundred percent on confidence right now. So if he is this player, I mean, he he really is an all star next season. Um, but again, you have to finish it off. I was listening to a clip from. Uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless, and they had the harsh truth about the series, which is one of Donovan Mitchell or Jamal Murray is going to get forgotten as early as Thursday, right? The series moves on. One of these two teams is going to be left standing, and one of them is going to be, oh, yeah, this guy is a star. Look, here he is in the second round. And the other one is going to be an afterthought of, oh, yeah, he had a good first-round series and then was gone. Um, so there's a lot at stake just for the, the how much this narrative can kind of continue for Jamal, and he's earned it that I really hope that he can continue to do this for one more game and that the team can sort of do enough around him to, to make it all worthwhile. But the, the efficiency with which he is scoring at has just been absolutely um, unbelievable. And we saw it all, all game in this one, but the second and fourth quarters especially. I also love the way Malone is sort of staggering these lineups where, you know, when him and Jokic are on the court together, there's a little bit more balance between, okay, you play between those two. With some of these staggered lineups, he's so clearly the first option that the whole team is sort of working around to get him shots and playing off of him. And I think he gets to be even more aggressive in those moments. They, Murray, to, as great as he played in this one, especially in the second quarter, I think he got a little too excited and, and, and a little too um, amped up because the final minute of the second quarter going into the half, I've talked about how this has been a huge battleground for Denver because Utah has made some huge runs to end the, the first half and even to end the third quarter that have put Denver behind the gun. Well, in this one, I thought Denver and Murray in particular botched the final you know three or four possessions, but fortunately, Utah also botched them, so they didn't get p penalized. But going into game seven, I talk about Grant and how I'm picking nits here, which Jamal Murray had 50 points. There's little things he can do. Just understand the situation. Trying to get a two-for-one, he drives in early, too early, gets a charge called, and now you give Utah the two-for-one. So little things like that that um, can come back to haunt Denver going forward. But, again, we're picking nits with, with Murray, who was Michael Jordan um, in a Nuggets jersey last night. Um, Jokic started out really rough in the third quarter. He hasn't really solved the Gobert problem as a one-on-one -on -one scorer in the series. And I think if you look for things that can switch in a Game 7 that would tilt this in Denver's favor, I think there are more things that can go right for Denver. I mean, you look at the other side of the court, Ingles hasn't really gone off, although I just think that his game at this stage of his career is a lot more can he knock down kick-out shots, and Denver has done a good job so far of sort of stymieing those. Um, Clarkson can be better. Um, you know, at least offensively, defensively, I think he's still going to get targeted a lot. With Denver, you look at it and you go, Michael Porter can score a lot better. Jokic, 
I still don't think we've had the Jokic game. We've had the Jokic quarter. 21 points in the first quarter of, what was it, game six uh, or game five? I don't even remember anymore. They're jumbling together. But we've had a quarter. We've had little moments. We've had overtime in game one where he's really stepped up and done some things. But I don't think he's solved the Gobert equation. And as much as he has played good, I think he's shooting 50-50-80 on the series. So his efficiency has been good. And when he's on the court, the Nuggets' offense has been good. But I think we're still waiting for that, like the the seven in Utah, where he just goes off 30 points, and no matter what Gobert's doing, he just had an answer for. I don't think we've seen that game from him yet, and I'm curious if we get that in Game 7 or if we just don't get it at all. But if we get it in Game 7, I think Denver wins. Um, So that's one little battleground. But in the third quarter in particular, I thought Jokic struggled, and um, you know it was part of the reason why that first unit didn't work out. Now, I do wonder how much of Jokic's struggles – coincide with playing alongside two power forwards, which again, I just don't quite understand. And Denver played it so many minutes and to start both, both uh, halves, the first half and the second half that I wonder if that kind of starts Jokic off on a tough foot. Cause you're asking him not only to attack Gobert, who's a challenge one-on-one anyway, but then you're throwing, you know, non-shooters around him or guys that just aren't respected as shooters. And that can be tough. Nuggets have really had a lot of success running this double stagger. I've showed if you if you want to know what this looks like, go on the DNVR and look at previous editions of the list. I've I've shown examples of what this double stagger looks like, why it works, why it's effective. But to to kind of summarize, Denver's had a, a, a lot of success because you're running Jamal Murray off ball or even on ball, um, but usually it's off ball, and his on ball defender has to fight through two screens. Almost always they fall a step behind. Gobert has to step a little bit higher, and then you get switches on the backside or you just get a scrambled defense on the backside. So Denver's done a very good job of this, not just in getting immediate plays like you know pick and pops and, and rolls to the rim, the lob for Jeremy Grant, which finally got converted, although not very cleanly. It was kind of a bumbled and late. Up, but still it created a, a wide open shot but they also just create switches Denver needs to do a better job of taking advantage of those switches and one of the the clips I have on the list Denver gets Gobert to stop out on on Murray Murray picks up the ball stands there long enough for Utah to re-switch back and Denver when Denver gets Gobert switched off of Jokic Denver typically scores at a very high clip and they get Utah they, they draw fouls they get shots at the rim they get wide open kick out threes So being able to create that switch in the half court is one of the battlegrounds, and I think Denver has figured out one way to do it, but they haven't capitalized on it quite enough. They're not getting quite 100% value out of those switches for things that they can clean up and be a little bit more tuned into, especially off those double staggers. Um, and then I just talk about having Gary on, on the court really allows the Nuggets second unit to have good players. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but the Nuggets have had so many just lineups with, they've been so shorthanded that they've had so many lineups where you're like, oh man, we're really trying to escape, you know, having three defenders, but no offensive players on the court or three offensive players, but no defender. Now you put Gary Harris out there. Who's a two-way player, at least in theory. And it's funny. He's a guy that they're afraid of to shoot. So it, that that alone has half the value. The other half is making the shots. But as long as they guard you like a, a threat, you know that's something. And having him out there, it's amazing how many times you go, okay, this is a nice lineup. It's balanced. There's offense and defense and enough two-way players to make it work. I mean, it's crazy to me that the Nuggets being shorthanded in the series wasn't more of a, a discussion nationally. People, especially early, were so willing to bury them despite the fact that they're missing two starters, including the, by far their best perimeter defender and one of their only two-way players. Um and then we we saw just a glimpse. I referenced this earlier. We saw just a glimpse of the future lineup. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic, and Gary Harris. So if you go one through five, Murray, Harris, Porter, Grant, Jokic, 
we saw that just for a brief moment and looked great because, again, you've got two defenders out there in Grant and Harris. You've got two guys that can execute a defensive game plan in Jokic and Murray. And then you got Michael Porter who just adds the athleticism. He's, I think he's going to get there defensively, just not there just quite yet. And then they also threw this lineup that I think will be probably a staple of the team next year, which was Murray, Harris, Craig, Michael Porter Jr., Jokic, which, again, Murray, MPJ, Jokic gives you enough scoring. Harris and Craig just so athletic and so so good defensively. That lineup also had a lot of success. If I'm Michael Malone, it's tough because this is game seven. You haven't seen that lineup, those two lineups enough to really know how they're going to do. But in my opinion, those lineups are going to be key to Denver winning tomorrow in game seven. And I hope we see them for a lot because not only are they key to winning, that's the Nuggets future. I think that's probably their lineup next year. Their two most used lineups. So seeing that I think is going to be really big. And then my last note here in the third quarter, Jokic gave a really dumb take foul 91 feet from the basket. I hate that he did that. I really hope he keeps in his composure better in game uh, game seven. Ended up costing the Nuggets one point because it was 90 feet from the basket. He looks at the ref, purposely fouls Gobert. Well, there Utah Jazz were in the penalty, so Gobert gets a, a free point. Um, just kind of a tough look for Jokic, and he's been better about that, but seeing that in game six was really dis discouraging. Um, Plumlee and Porter I have in here in the fourth quarter really had some nice plays together, a little bit of a two-man game, um, which I love to see. Again, I think just having so much height and athleticism on the court overwhelms teams. We're seeing this with the Lakers. They're not, you know, as much as they have some good defensive players, just being as athletic and mobile and huge as they are is a problem in and of itself, even if you're out of position. And when you get Plumlee, Grant, Porter, Craig, those guys on the court together, you just see a lot of like, oh, wow, Denver's so much bigger and faster than the Jazz. And I think that matters. Matters. Sneaky important play of the game. Jeremy Grant's three with six minutes left was absolutely huge. The Nuggets are up, puts the Nuggets up 97 87. And it came at a moment with six minutes left in the game where that was a pivot point. Not all clutch baskets come in the last minute. There's points where you're like, okay, Utah's on a run, or Denver's offense has kind of gotten a little stale. It's gotten a little clunky. If you don't score, maybe you get a timeout or, or whatever. So you're at 94-87. You don't score there. Utah comes down and does score. It's all of a sudden, it's a five-point game with six and a half minutes to go, and, and there's some momentum shift. Instead, you do hit the three-pointer. Nuggets go up 10, and now with six and a half minutes left, you think, okay, this is going to, you know, this really puts them on their heels. So that was a huge play by, by Jeremy Grant. There was also an incredible one by Torrey Craig where play breaks down. He attacks off the dribble at Gobert. Michael Porter ducks in. Gobert commits to Craig, and you get a drop-off for Michael Porter's only point, an a, a emphatic dunk that kind of sealed the game. But, of course, the story of this game and the story of the fourth quarter was Jamal Murray. 18 points, I believe, in the final six and a half minutes of this game. Just absolutely dominant, supreme confidence, supreme will, and it was incredible to watch some of those shots, you know, so he has 18 points. Let me see how many, I think it was, I think his, let me, let me see if it was under six and a half minutes. I'm almost positive. Yep. It was under, let's see, 620. Yep. It was under six minutes and 20 seconds. So rough, roughly the final six minutes of this game, he goes six of six from the field, including four of four from the three point line, two of two um, from the free throw line, only one turnover, 18 points, and just an incredible display of shot making, isolation, pick and roll, reading the court. Having this guy playing at this level right now gets Nuggets has to get Nuggets fans excited because not only does it give you confidence going into Game Seven, there's as much confidence as you can have going into a Game Seven. But you know him being at this level changes the trajectory of the Nuggets. If he can be, I mean, he is reaching. I said this before, and I believe it even more on second watch. The level he has played at over those last three games, I would put up against 
even Jokic's best three-game stretch. I'm not saying he's better than Jokic. Jokic has proven how great he can be consistently now over three seasons. Murray still has to do that. But the high, if you just talk about how great he has played over three games, you could easily make the argument that it's the greatest three-game stretch a Denver Nuggets player has ever had. In fact, I think the onus would be to disprove that. Two 50-point games mixed sandwiched by a 42-point game and with the clutch buckets that he had, I just I can't believe what I am seeing. It's absolutely incredible, and if he has just one more in game like this in him, not only does it change his narrative and legacy and, and, and sort of where he belongs in the NBA star pecking order, but it changes the entire Nuggets trajectory should they win in Game 7. I think the Clippers watching the series might – put even more emphasis than before on Jamal Murray and that's exactly what you need that tension between the Jokic Murray combo is so much of what makes the Nuggets a great team offensively and Murray playing like Steph Curry mixed with Damian Lillard right now is just uh, it's just incredible to watch so happy for the guy uh, and couldn't be more impressed with what we've seen Going to take a quick break right now to tell you about MSU Denver Online, the school that puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members have taken courses to kind of get familiar with it, and they have incredible uh, stories to tell about that. The MSU believes in value without compromise, excellent education, professors who care about you, and formats that fit your life. If you're considering changing careers, going back to school, learning a new trade, learning a new skill, whatever it is, or just bettering yourself, maybe you want to take some interesting subjects uh, and just get back to school, check out MSU Denver online. also want to tell you about Colorado Raptors. You might have heard us mention that there are some big things happening with Colorado Rugby and now we can spill the details. DNVR is now covering all things rugby in Colorado, not just the Raptors, but all things uh, rugby in Colorado and the United States. Colton Strickler is keeping you up to date on all things American rugby with the DNVR Rugby Podcast. And you can find his written content, uh, his written rugby content right now on our website. So if you're a rugby fan, it's you know it's a small group of, of diehard rugby fans, but it's a very passionate group. If you have friends, let them know. Hey, have you checked out the DNVR Raptors podcast? Lots of cool stuff going on. Colton Strickler is your guy. Passionate about it all. Um, so download the DNVR Rug- Rugby podcast right now on your phone. You can leave a rating and review, do all, the, all that stuff, and get familiar with the USA Eagles, under 15 teams. You can get familiar with the uh, uh, Glendale Rugby Sports Arena that they have it, it, here in Colorado. Big rugby community. Check it out uh, and share it with your friends. All right, here we go into the final segment. Quick one here as we talk about now, where do we go from here with the Denver Nuggets? Um, game seven. It's crazy, but this is the harsh reality of sports, the harsh reality of uh, you know, of the situation the Nuggets have placed themselves in. Jamal Murray has been incredible. The Nuggets have clawed their way back into the series. The only thing that matters now is close is finishing it off. Because if you don't, the narrative and I think just the 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 season, everything sort of pivots on this. Or I shouldn't say everything, but so much sort of pivots on do the Nuggets get over to the hump, back into the second round as they did last year, or you know if not. All of these good feelings kind of wash away. So now you look at it and you go, okay, well, Denver has some momentum in this series. I think they've discovered some of the lineups that work best. They've gotten back their best perimeter defender in Gary Harris. I think if you look at one pivot point, Gary Harris plays you know, 20 minutes in this game. Can How many minutes can he play um, tomorrow? 
can he get up to 25, 30 minutes? That would give Denver a huge boost. Um, Michael Porter Jr., you know, he's one guy that I think counting on a rookie who is sort of had to overcome so much in the series, learning on the fly, really an introduction. I keep saying baptism by fire for him in NBA defense. Um, but so expecting him to sort of step up and play huge might be too much. But one thing I keep thinking about, you know, is Utah going to adjust their game plan? This series has been close, all of the games other than two and three. But you look at the last three games and even the, the the four before that, three in the regular season in game one, they're all close. And I think these two teams, you know, it really comes down to execution, shot making, some of those, some of those things because they're close enough that the teams are – I don't know that we're going to have a blowout game seven. But – where are the margins at? Michael Porter Jr., 0 of 5 from the three-point line. Can he go 2 of 5, 3 of 5? I think he's a fantastic shooter. If Utah adjusts a little bit more of their defensive scheme to say, hey, we have to shut down Jamal Murray, Denver can take advantage of that. If they're prepared, Denver can take advantage of that by collapsing the paint, getting to the rim, getting offensive rebounds. One of the stories here, Michael Porter Jr., 12 rebounds in this game, I think some of that had to do just with you know how much Denver was scrambling them defensively um, and, and just how much they were making them work well wearing them out. Uh, so can Michael Porter Jr. get to the offensive glass? Can he knock down some three-pointers? And if he can, that changes the complexion of the game because if you try to overdo it, this is the, the thing about Denver. They're winning right now in a way they really haven't won before consistently with Jamal Murray sort of as the lead guy. If you load up on him, that opens up so many things for how Denver is most comfortable winning, which is through Jokic attacking mismatches and through attacking four-on-three situations. And Denver, I think, should the Utah Jazz sort of react hard and, 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 and try to swing the pendulum back to stopping Murray harder. There's a real opportunity for a lot of guys to go off, but I think Michael Porter Jr. among the, the top guys on the list. I talked about Jokic. You know, he's been good in this series. If I were to give him a grade, I would say B+. If you threw out games two and three, which I know you can't do this in a series, but if you threw out games two and three, I think you'd look at this and say, oh, wow, Jokic has really owned the center matchup. But it hasn't been there hasn't been that dominant performance yet. Rudy Gobert kind of dominated him in game three. And the pick and roll attack games one through one through three really gave Denver a hard time. But I think if you just look at Jokic, I mean he's shooting 50-50-80 in the series. Like his his efficiency's been great. But it still hasn't been – it's been regular season Jokic in the playoffs. We haven't seen him go off. In this game, especially if the Utah Jazz start to sort of stretch in one direction, if Jokic can put pressure on them – especially early in the game, come out hot, come out aggressive, draw some fouls on Gobert, you know, go right at him at the paint, maybe put some doubt. Right now you saw some tension. Gobert go into the timeouts, kicking chairs, him and Donovan Mitchell yelling at each other, walking off the court, Mitchell throwing chairs around. You're seeing that frustration. So if Jokic can come out early in the nugget, not just Jokic, but I think Jokic would be the best one for, for this specific sort of pressure. If Jokic can come out and own that matchup on Gobert early and put some points up, not just talking three-pointers, but really attacking him and getting to the foul line, getting to the paint and scoring, then I think you can really start to put that tension in the hearts and minds of the Utah Jazz in a way that's going to would have a snowball effect. Conversely, if you allow them to get rolling, you know, Gobert did not have a good game in games five and six. In fact, he's been pretty terrible. People haven't talked about it for whatever reason, but he's been pretty terrible. If you can get him to start off hot, maybe his confidence goes up and, and he starts to roll a little bit more. So Jokic, I think, owning that matchup, in a way that he hasn't quite yet in this in the series so far would be huge. Um, 
again, I suspect that Utah might start guarding things a little bit more honestly in terms of you know coming out on Jamal Murray and treating him like a 50-point ga- uh, per game scorer. And if you do that, Jokic should be able to take some re- a real advantage of it. Um, Jeremy Grant, it's hard to imagine him playing better in Game 7 than he did in Game 6. He had 18 points. He goes 4 of 7 from the three-point line. That might be an area of regression for Jeremy Grant. Can he knock down shots at that clip? Paul Millsap, I don't know how many minutes he's going to play or where, but he's been pretty bad. Um, you know, offensively for the Nuggets, just five points in this one. Maybe he's a guy that, you know, takes advantage of his matchup just a little bit more. And then Gary Harris, I'm curious to see offensively, you know, defensively his impact is so big. Offensively, if he can just knock down a shot or two, I think it gives the Nuggets a huge boost. The only other guy I'm curious about, the Nuggets went away from P.J. Dozier, and they went to Monte Morris. Monte Morris goes 0 for 1 in this game from the three-point line. He does go 4 of 6 from the field with 10 points. He was a minus 9, though a team worse minus 9. I wonder, Monte is just kind of small, and all these other Nuggets players we're talking about are so long, other than Gary Harris, they're, they're long, they're quick, they're athletic, and Monte Morris is a great positional defender, but he just hasn't had the impact. He plays twenty almost so almost exactly 24 and a half minutes in this game. I wonder if Gary Harris steals some of Monte's minutes, but I also wonder if, and I don't know if Denver's going to make this adjustment now. It might be too late, but I do wonder if PJ Dozier might be the better option alongside some of these units. Um, you know, especially when you talk about, I think that Utah's going to aggressively trap the pick and roll with Jamal Murray tomorrow and get the ball out of his hands. Well, if you can set those screens with P.J. Dozier and release to him, you get a true point guard attacking downhill four on three, and I think that's a win. Even if you don't use him as the screener, if, you, if you're just saying, okay, Jeremy Grant's setting the screen, they're going to trap it, and you get it to Grant, if you can reverse the ball directly into uh, a screen and roll or dribble handoff with P.J. Dozier on the backside, I just I love that look for Denver. So to me, having that second point guard out there is key, but I kind of trust P.J. Dozier to defend and keep that defense of intensity consistent for 48 minutes, then I trust Monte Morris to knock down enough shots to to kind of balance it out. Again, I don't think Denver's going to do that. I think they're going to stick with Monte, which means that if Monte's in there, he's got to find ways to knock down three-pointers, and he's got to find a way to make an impact on the defensive end um, for whatever minutes he gets. So the battle lines, I think, are very clear. You go to the other side, Jordan Clarkson not being good in this game was key. I think some of that was Denver's defense, including Gary Harris, who I thought did a fantastic job on him. But some of that was Clarkson just missed some shots that I think he'll make you know, some of the time. He goes one of six from three. One or two of those were looks that I thought, okay, those are good. You know, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell 9 of 13 from three, Jamal Murray 9 of 12. Who knows what to expect from both of those two guys? I mean, right at this moment, I'm kind of just chalking them up to both making six-plus three-pointers in this game, but it might come down to just who blinks first. You look at Mike Conley, he goes four of six. It's not like he didn't shoot the ball well. Utah gets 18 three-pointers and shoots 50%. Denver gets 18 three-pointers, they shoot 50%. Whichever team blinks first on that regard might be the team that loses. Um, so it's, it's going to be an incredible game. This has been an incredible series, but I do feel still like there's a lot at stake for the Denver Nuggets. Um, how they are viewed both individually as players. We talk about Jokic, we talk about Murray, how they're viewed for this whole next season is going to be a lot about whether or not they win this game fair or not. And how you evaluate this Denver Nuggets team going forward, I think is going to have a lot to do with, can they get over the hump in this game? And that's the harsh reality of the NBA. One team gets to advance and they get all the accolades and they get all this and one team loses and everybody starts to question whether they're the right makeup. And I really hope that Denver can pull this one off this last game. It should be exciting. It should be emotional. Uh, It should be everything. So thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll be back again tomorrow. Winner's Lounge, Loser's Lounge, whatever it is at DNVR. We're going to be at the DNVR bar 
we're going to be ready for it. Hope you are as well. We'll see you then. Before we get out of here, guys, I want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group up in Lakewood. They're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. You know that. They're extreme Colorado sports fans, just like you, just like me, just like all of us. We have a personal experience within our company going to them, and they've been absolutely fantastic. And they also have this killer deal that you know about. Schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. You receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. And tweet at us when you go there. Let us know that you're there. Let us know how awesome it was, what the service was like, what the people are like. They're, they're personal. They're like a mom and pop shop. So it's your birthday. They're going to send you a card. It's Christmas. They're going to send you a card. They, they give that personal touch that um, I think is what makes these, these type of Colorado-owned businesses so cool. And they're just Colorado through and through. So check them out. And don't forget, schedule an x-ray cleaning and exam at Green Mountain Dental Group. Free Sonicare toothbrush coming your way.